Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Morrissey Movement. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss and share one aspect of fitness and one aspect of medicine. Being a general surgeon and a garage gym athlete, I have a strong passion for both of these aspects of life. So sit back and enjoy the show. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I am in no way forming a patient-doctor relationship. While the aspects discussed in this podcast are medically accurate, you should always discuss with your doctor any questions that you may have about the content. You should always discuss with your doctor before starting any new exercise or dietary changes. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Dr. Chris Morrissey here, back for another episode of the Morrissey Movement. I want to thank everyone who's been listening to the show so far. I really appreciate it. Oh, and I do want to mention that I have created a YouTube channel, and I'm posting all my podcast contents on there, too. So, And I probably will start doing some videos at some point. So uh, stay tuned and go ahead and check that out if you'd like to. I know some people would rather listen to things or view them on YouTube. So, so there's that. So today I'm going to discuss um, something called IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and then also intermittent fasting. Uh, So there's sometimes some confusion on both of these topics, so I'm going to break them down individually. So people will use the term IBS and IBD interchangeably. IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, whereas IBD is inflammatory bowel disease, which typically includes Crohn's disease versus ulcerative colitis. Um, I will be talking about irritable bowel syndrome, and I'll probably cover Crohn's and ulcerative colitis in a future podcast. You can look for that sometime in the near future. So irritable bowel syndrome has a lot of vague symptoms and can overlap with many other disease processes. These include, in no particular order, abdominal pain and cramping, diarrhea, constipation, changes in bowel habits, gas and bloating, food intolerances, fatigue, difficulty sleeping, and so on. Some people may have clear or white mucus in their stools. Sometimes menstrual cycles can worsen the discomfort. Um, Eating foods may set off the symptoms. Um, It typically affects the large intestine or the colon. This is a fairly common disease process. It usually affects women twice as often as men and is usually found in people younger than 45. The cause is fairly unknown. There are four bowel patterns that are associated with irritable bowel syndrome. So there's IBS slash or dash D, which is diarrhea predominant. There's irritable bowel syndrome C with constipation. There's irritable bowel syndrome M, which is a mix of diarrhea and constipation. And there's also an IBS U or unclassified, basically meaning that the symptoms don't really fall in the prior categories of those. Um, There really isn't any lab or radiologic diagnosis or studies to confirm this. It's usually a clinical diagnosis. Sometimes refer to certain disease processes as trash can diagnoses in air quotes, meaning that We really aren't sure. We've ruled out other worrisome processes or bad causes, and we just want to put a label on something. Um, Now, if there are alarm or worrisome signs, you may need a more extensive workup um, from your physician. So things like these are going to be like weight loss, iron deficiency, anemia, family history of certain GI illnesses like inflammatory bowel disease, celiac sprue, or colon cancer. So if those are present, your doctor may want to check something called a complete blood count or a CBC, which involves checking the web blood cell count, the hemoglobin, the hematocrit, and your platelets. And also there's some um, other 
uh, other little lab values associated with this, like your mean corpuscular volume or your MCV. There's MCHC, and then there's your neutrophils, basophils, lymphocytes. There's a lot of breakdowns of the CBC, but that's a little bit beyond this talk. Um, they may also want to get a, a CMP or a CHEM18, which stands for a uh, complete metabolic profile. So this is going to entail um, normal electrolytes, sodium, potassium, chloride, carbon dioxide levels, BUN and creatinine, and also glucose. And then along with the CMP, you also get your liver enzymes. So you'll be seeing your total bilirubin, your alkaline phosphatase, your AST and ALT, which are liver enzymes. Um, it also checks your albumin, which is a protein level in your blood, um, your calcium, and other things like that. So, um, And then they may also get a stool sample looking for blood in the stool and also which is called O and P's or OVA and parasites or the type of infectious process like C. difficile. Um, some other tests that may also be ordered is something called a breath test for an entity called SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I'll do a podcast on this in itself in the future. Um, another test that may be ordered is something called a tissue transglutamase antibody testing and a small bowel biopsy for inflammatory bowel or I'm sorry irritable bowel syndrome diarrhea specific for celiac disease which is a gluten intolerance or intolerance to wheat products um, may also check thyroid function levels serum calcium for hyperparathyroidism and also something called an ESR which is a uh, erythrocyte sedimentation rate and a CRP which are or C-reactive protein which are both non-specific inflammatory markers so these are something else that may happen you may also get a CAT scan of the Adam in a pelvis and or a colonoscopy if this has not been done and I did discuss colonoscopy in great detail actually in my first podcast that I that I have done so if you have not heard that go back and give that a listen for more details on that so how do we manage irritable bowel syndrome um, it's primary psychological support and recommending dietary measures and I'll cover more in depth on food plans in the future as well so um, <clears throat> Fiber may be used to improve diarrhea and constipation, um, which seems sort of counterintuitive, but compounds such as Citrusel or Fibercon may produce less flatus or gas buildup compared to like Metamucil or Benafiber. Increasing water intake is also recommended, especially for constipation. Um, caffeine avoidance may decrease or limit anxiety and making symptoms worse. Avoiding certain foods like legumes, which is like beans, um, to decrease bloating. Probiotics is also something that can be used to help with these symptoms. There are certain medications that can be used as well. Anticholinergics or antispasmodic medications like dicyclamine or hyosamine or peppermint oil, if you want to be a little more natural. Um, Antidiarrhea agents like Lamotil. Sometimes people will be placed on tricyclic antidepressants such as amitriptyline. Prokinetic agents, something like Reglan or erythromycin that will actually help the stomach empty faster. Um, bulk forming laxatives, SSRIs and so on. So there's lots of medications we can try to help with this symptomatology. Altered GI motility includes the small and the large intestine. There's an electrical activity of the bowels. They're composed of slow waves with superimposed spike potentials. So people with diarrhea will actually have greater alterations in this as opposed to people with constipation. Small bowel dysmotility, meaning that the small bowel doesn't work very well, will have a delayed meal transit time in people that are prone to constipation. And this will be accelerated in people with diarrhea. Current theories look at this. Um, <clears throat> was 
just kind of a general smooth muscle hyper-responsiveness. Um, second part is the what's called visceral hyperalgesia. Hyper um, basically, the person has a heightened awareness of motility and pain. People with this describe a wide kind of dermatomal distribution of referred pain. So dermatomes, um, there's some maps that you can look at on the internet, basically, um, we have superficial nerves that kind of go across in patterns along our abdomen and the, our entire body, really. But um, this is kind of focused on the abdomen. But um, they originate from spinal roots and they go around the body in a certain pattern type um, distribution. So you could look that up on the internet if you'd like. So. Um, uh, sometimes people get referred pain, which is actually when pain is starting somewhere, but then it spreads or maybe felt somewhere else. So for instance, um, I may have talked to this a little bit in my gallbladder podcast, but if you have a flare up of your gallbladder, a lot of people will actually feel pain in their right shoulder blade. And the reason for this is because the nerve that, that exi- exits the spine goes to the gallbladder travels really close to this area another instance maybe if you have laparoscopic surgery and you know we blow your abdomen up full of co2 gas to increase the room so we can do our work but sometimes people will have pain up in their shoulders after this surgery so the reason for this is because the nerve that innervates your diaphragm which is called the phrenic nerve it exits the skull kind of travels along in your neck and goes down or i'm sorry in your over by your shoulders and then kind of down to go to the diaphragm so um, what happens is that gas will irritate the diaphragm and then the pain will refer up from the diaphragm up into your shoulder sometimes right sometimes left sometimes both it just kind of depends but but anyway so that's um so you may not actually have pain in the one area but it may be referred and then and you may feel it somewhere else so does that make sense um then the third part of this whole thing is a psychopathology so people with ibs tend to have other mood issues such as depression anxiety and hypochondriac type things um, compared to control populations so just because you have this it doesn't mean you're crazy or that we think you're you know you're just anxiety or depressed but these seem to kind of feed off each other sometimes so um so the differential diagnosis which in medicine means what all different things this could be based off the information we have the list is very extensive so i'm not going to list everything off but um, it can definitely kind of be a lot of different things so that's why we start to do um, you know the first thing we start with when we're trying to figure something out is we do a full history and physical exam um, which is we do with, with everything anyway and then based off of the findings and then the most likely issues then we start ordering tests so sometimes it takes a while to figure it out and may involve multiple tests and or referrals to specialists so this can be very frustrating to both physicians and more importantly the patients so once we have the diagnosis and have pretty much ruled in IBS then we can start trying the above therapies so if you experience some or a lot of these symptoms and haven't been to a doctor I would first start with by keeping a food journal so this is something I'll tell my patients if I'm trying to figure things out so basically every time you eat you should just kind of record in a journal you know you can either do like in a notes you know uh, app on your iPad or on your on your cell phone or you can keep a little you know old school written paper Um, just write down what you eat and then how you feel Um, try to do it for about a week at a time don't necessarily change how you eat just write down what you eat and then um, when you go to your physician they might be able to start by picking up on patterns Um, you know uh, and if you know certain things that definitely make it worse try to avoid those Um, 
everyone can benefit from drinking more water. You know, everybody says, I drink a ton of water, but most people really don't. Um, Increasing exercise and sleep is also something that a lot of us can benefit from. There's a lot of disease processes that can actually be taken care of quite a bit by just having a good food plan, exercise, and sleep. So, you know, give that a try and see how things go. Um, You know, when I refer to food plans, I don't like the word diet. I feel the word diet has a negative connotation, especially when you're trying to get someone to change how they eat. If you say you're going to go on a diet, it's automatically like, okay, I'm super food restricted. And there are some diets that are very food restrictive, but there are some that are not. So when I like to talk to people about changing the way they eat, I like to call it a food plan or an eating regimen or something like that. But I usually try to avoid the word diet in general. Um, So speaking of food plans and diet. This is a really good segue to going on to intermittent fasting. So what is intermittent fasting? It's something that's been talked about a lot lately in the media and in the fitness circles and on social media. I'm sure if you've even just thought about it, it ends up being shown up on Facebook somehow or another, um, the way they're always figuring out what we're thinking and what we think we need. So, um, Sometimes the term intermittent fasting gets tossed around and maybe misused. If you really break it down, some people get kind of angry when you use intermittent fasting incorrectly. Um, Me personally, I really don't care. But intermittent fasting is actually an eating plan that is switched between fasting and eating on a regular schedule. So this is not a new concept. There's a lot of religious practices that utilize this. So something like Ramadan, you know, they will basically fast from sunup to sundown and then will only eat in the evenings. Some other religions will, you know, only eat at certain times a day. So fasting is definitely nothing new. Um, One of the main reasons to utilize fasting um, for body composition and for nutrition is you actually can switch using carbohydrates as fuels and go to burning fat. So something called like a metabolic switch. And there's multiple ways that you can implement this. Um, I'm going to go through some of these here. There's a bunch of different ways to do this also. And again, before you start anything, you should always talk with your doctor before you start changing up Um, how you eat and how you do things. So um, one of the more popular ways is actually what people sometimes call intermittent fasting, but it's actually really time-restricted feeding. So you basically will only eat in a certain window and then not eat in a different window. So the if people want to start doing this, and I feel that it is appropriate, I usually recommend start doing just a 12 and 12. So you only eat for 12 hours, and then you do not eat for the other 12 hours. So typically, this is pretty simple. Um, it's not doesn't take a whole lot of work on somebody. So me personally, I actually do intermittent fasting quite often, and I or time restricted feeding rather, and I usually do the 16-8, which is where I will fast for 16 hours, and I will only eat within an eight-hour window. So to get started, basically, you can just um, wait to eat until later in the morning or in the day you can have water and coffee but it has to be black coffee or tea you're supposed not supposed to put any type of calories in it me personally when i get up in the morning part of my morning routine which i'll do a podcast on morning routines also in the future but i will get up i'll make a cup of pour over coffee and i actually put like 20 20 grams of uh, collagen protein that's tasteless into my coffee from bulletproof and then i also add a little bit of mct oil and and some creamer so i'm technically not completely fasted but the caloric intake is only like 70 calories so i really don't care um so i it does not really affect me a whole lot so anyway um so you can use water and caffeine caffeine will actually suppress your appetite and then water can kind of make you feel a little bit more full so um now others advocate for fasting for a longer period of time say doing a 24-hour fast once a week um 
It's not something else you can try if you would like to, but I would not jump right into that. I would start slow and I will go through this here in just a second. So why would I wanna do this? What are some of the benefits of doing intermittent fasting? Well, there's a lot that are listed off. So a few of these include thinking and memory. There's been some animal studies that have actually shown to increase in working memory from doing intermittent fasting. Uh, some of the theories is that you're reducing brain fog by reducing some of the pro-inflammatory foods and also having less of a level of glucose floating in your bloodstream. Um, heart health, this has actually been shown to lower blood pressure and resting heart rate um, if used appropriately. Physical performance, um, which is kind of the main goal people try to do, there is you can you can generate fat loss and muscle gain and also increase in endurance have been shown in some studies with intermittent fasting. Diabetes, excuse me, and obesity. This has also been shown to lower blood glucose levels since you are burning fat and not having as much carbohydrates floating around and also will decrease body fat and weight due to fasting. So like I said earlier, if there's less glucose available, then the body switches to burn fat for fuel and fat is actually a very good fuel source. So um, so as far as what are some of the different ways we can do it, I've already listed a few, but I'll go through them again. Um, <clears throat> so some of the plans, you know, the... the Time-restricted feeding, so 12 and 12 or 6 and 8 is one. So there's another one called 5-2, which is actually where you will eat five days per week like you normally would. Obviously, you want to do smart food choices, not just eating whatever you want, but you know, eating a good amount of fruits and vegetables and protein. Um, and then also, and so for the other two days, usually, you know, people do it Monday through Friday, and on the weekends, they will restrict their caloric intake to like five to 600 calories. So basically almost like a fast you're just eating enough just to kind of get by so you're not super hungry so there's another fasting option called eat stop eat which is basically you'll eat food and then you'll fast for 24 hours once or twice a week um, so that's another option you can do another one called alternate day where you'll eat one day and you'll fast the next day and again there's multiple variations of this as well um, one of the first uh realms of fasting was called the warrior diet this was pop popularized by the fitness expert ori hoffmeckler um, basically this entails eating small amounts of raw fruits and vegetables during the day and then one huge meal at night this is one of the first intermittent fasting diets that ever came about and there's another one called spontaneous meal skipping where basically there's no real structure you just eat and then randomly skip a meal um, or severely restrict your calories depending on what's going on in your life so this is one that could easily implement it as well you know one of the days during lunch you're super busy and you just skip lunch and you don't eat or you know or skip supper or whatever so and again like i said if you're going to give this a try always check with your physician <clears throat> so so there's been a lot of studies showing that actually this may affect men and women differently so for men i feel that it's fairly safe to do that um men get a lot of benefits from this however with women um it may not be as effective some of the things that have been shown so um there has been some studies that actually showed worsening in blood sugar regulation in women compared to men. Also, there's a huge hormonal change and their menstrual cycle can be altered. So um, women need to be a little bit more careful with this. So do not just jump in willy-nilly. I definitely, again, check your, with your physician before starting to do this and see if it's right for you. So in general, I think intermittent fasting is great. Um, I do not feel it is beneficial super long term. So if you're going for body composition as one of your goals, maybe start doing it for like, I don't know, three months or so with, again, having a great nutrition plan and exercise plan. Um, so intermittent fasting by itself is a good place to start, but you will get more benefits out of it if you have, you know, 
good nutrition, you know, started counting, counting your macros and uh, a good exercise plan. Um, a good rule of thumb, if you're going to be doing strength training, what a lot of people advocate for is if you're going to do strength training, you should probably eat before you train. Um, if you're going to have a rest day or maybe go just for like a zone two run or a zone two bike ride, which I've covered the heart rate zones in another podcast, then fasting is okay to do. Um, you should ease into it slowly once you kind of get the green light from your doctor to start this so i'd start with a few times per week the rule that i follow is one thing that i think is helpful is i try not to eat after eight o'clock at night um because during sleep if you've had a huge meal before you go to bed then your body has to focus on digesting instead of regeneration and repair um so i you know i think i alluded to this in one of my other podcasts when i talked about the fitness gear but i have an aura ring and um you know i always analyze my data every morning after i get up as part of my morning routine so if uh, i can always tell you know, sometimes I'll just experiment by, hey, I'm going to eat right before I go to bed. And then my resting heart rate doesn't lower until way farther in the evening showing, or in, the, I'm sorry, early morning, which showing that my body is still trying to work to digest food. Um, so typically my resting heart rate will drop into the high 30s to low 40s during the night. <clears throat> and there's times when I won't get to that until four or five in the morning if I've eaten a big meal. Um, so that's something that I've noticed with myself. Um, so, you know, give it a try. I would start again with a 12 and 12 if you want to do that once you are cleared by your physician. But, uh, you know, once 12 hours becomes easy, then go out to 14 hours a couple times a week and then try to go to 16 hours. And if you want to try a 24-hour fast, that's that, that would be great. Um, there's another bit health benefit, um, which I'm not going to cover a ton. I'll just kind of touch on this. But there's been some research showing people can benefit from longer fasting to achieve something called autophagy, which uh, this is a process where the body basically depletes its nutrients and then it leads to breaking down and getting rid of bad cells, either cells that have been recycled and or, you know, there are some studies that suggest it could decrease inflammation and also cancer risks. Um, I don't think there's enough concrete evidence for this in the medical literature yet. So I am not saying that you can cure cancer with intermittent fasting by inducing autophagy. There's just a hypothesis of something that possibly could help. So I feel, hey, you know, what the heck, you might as well give it a try. It's definitely not going to hurt anything. So... So that's pretty much the wrap. Thank you for turning in to another episode of the Morrissey Movement. Thank you so much for listening. So if you can, please leave up to a five-star review. It really helps the show out a lot. And as always, please feel free to email me with any topics you would like to be addressed. Uh, my email address is the Morrissey Movement, all one word, at gmail.com. And I'd be more than happy to cover any topic you're wanting to hear about. You know, I still have a bunch on my list of things to do, but eventually I probably will start to run out of things. So by reaching out to me and giving me some ideas would be awesome awesome. Um, so I really appreciate it again. Thanks a lot. Get up there and get moving. And remember, movement is the best medicine.